Happy Sabbath, everybody. I have to say, this is kind of weird for me. Um, I usually hold a mic, and now I have nothing to do with my hands. Um, you know, that's funny. Pastor Chris said he didn't share that little detail with, uh, with me until a few years ago. He actually never shared that detail with me. I had no idea. He told my wife about it one day. And my wife came home and told me. I said, what? All these years, I was like, man, all, what, all, I spent so much time and energy trying to you know, do, like, youth pastoring while I was in college and all of this. And probably had no effect on anybody for, you know. And then to find out that, you know, God somehow used, you know, my short time doing that to, you know, do something like that is, like, incredibly uh, humbling and, like, actually still gives me chills in my spine every time I think about it. That, that's how awesome God is that he could do something like that. Um, but, you know, Pastor Chris <laughs> he had to in, uh, introduced me today, and I was like, why? And he's like, well, there's people that watch that they don't know who you are, like my mom. <laughs> so I want to say, start by saying today's Hamanim. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for raising this amazing young man and sharing him with us. And we promise we'll take good care of him. But we want you to know that your son is doing amazing things for God here in Portland. And um, your prayers have paid off. And we, we just, we love you and we thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Hopefully your mom's English is good, Pastor. Hopefully she understood that. Um, let's start with a quick word of prayer. Father God, um, we thank you for this time that we have, whether here in person or virtually, Lord, to be able to, to hear your word and to bring our hearts to you, Lord, and to allow you to speak into our lives. Just pray that during this time, Father, that you would be lifted up and that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, you know, one thing that has happened with COVID is that I feel like all of us have learned to become more flexible. You know, it's like nothing is what it was <laughs> the week before. Every week it seems like we have to invent new ways of doing things. You know, uh, Coach Ben is here, who is Karis' homeroom teacher. Good seeing you guys. Uh, man, I, you know, I have a lot of respect for teachers. It's not easy what you guys are doing right now, you know. But even church today, you know, we have a very, uh, you know, empty church today because of, you know, all of these crazy things that are happening around us. But I'm so thankful to be here today. Um, I haven't been able to be at church for the last three weeks. Um, I don't know that there has ever in my life been a time where I, for three straight weeks I have not attended church. Um, in 41 years, I don't think that's ever happened. And uh, so for me, like just coming to church today, I just felt like, really just happy, and I felt like, you know, so blessed that I'm able to be here today, and um, hopefully uh, for those of you who are not able to be here today and are joining us virtually, that we'll be able to all see each other again uh, soon, in the next week or two here. Um, in life, there are things that tend just not to go well together, right? And we, we can think of some examples, uh, you know, oil and water, we know, they just, they don't mix, you know, square peg in a round hole. I don't know if, how many of you guys have heard that term used before, but people use that term all the time. It's, a square, it's like putting a square peg in a round hole. It's just two things that don't mix. You know, uh, Bonnie Song and children's stories. It's just two things that just don't mix. You know, crew socks and Pastor Chris's calves. Just two things that just don't go well together. 
And many of you guys probably have certain things or areas or places or people in your life that for whatever reason, you just, they don't go well together. I have a few of those things in my life, but one of the main things in my life that I don't have a very good relationship with is water. And, and, and many of you guys know this. Um, some of you guys are, are guests or don't know me very well, so you might not know this, but throughout my entire life, I've had a very acrimonious relationship with water. When I was two or three, I think, uh, it was a Sabbath morning, and I was at my cousin's house before church, and we were, I don't know if we were living there at that time or, or what, but for some reason, I was at my cousin's house, and he had a swimming pool in his backyard. And uh, according to my cousin, because I don't remember this, he told me this, but it makes sense because it set the table for a long, what was to come for the rest of my life. But he said I fell into the pool. And he was in his suit ready to go to church. And he had to dive in in his suit and ruin a perfectly good suit to save me from that pool, from drowning. Um, and he still reminds me about it almost every time I see him. Um, I almost drowned when I was in uh, fifth grade in my uh, aunt's apartment. We were swimming. And, uh, you know, I was, I was a bad swimmer. I didn't know how to swim well, but I thought, I got to overcome my fear of the deep end. For, so, for some reason, that day, I just decided, today's the day I'm going to conquer the deep end. So I let go of the wall, and I swam out to the middle of the deep end, which was a terrible idea, because as soon as I got to the middle and I realized I wasn't next to a wall anymore, I panicked. And I started fa- flailing and, like, whatever, and my mom... From, for some reason didn't know that I couldn't swim, was just sitting there and fully clothed. She had to dive in and save me from the water. And that day we almost lost two members of my family. You know, and when I was in sixth grade, no, fifth grade, no, it was sixth grade. I went to Wild Waves and had to be rescued by a lifeguard from uh, um, this ride called Cannonball that my friends talked me into going on. That was not a good experience. I remember that same year I went water skiing for the first time, and all of my friends in my class, all the guys especially, they all knew how to water ski. But me, I had never water skied before, and so eventually they talked me on to, into trying something called, I think it's called a boom. Is it called a boom, Elliot? It's like a big stick that sticks out from the, so instead of like holding onto the rope, it's like a stick that sticks out on the side of the boat, and you hold onto this stick instead of like the, the long rope, and it's supposed to be easier. And I remember, you know, I, I was holding onto this stick, but the thing is, like, when you're, like, on that, everybody's staring right at you because you're literally right next to the boat. So I, I was water skiing, and, and you really, there's, like, no way that you can't water ski when you're holding onto that. But as I'm water skiing, I remember um, my shorts, the water kept coming up and pushing my shorts up. But because I was holding onto this stick, I, I kept looking down at my shorts and I couldn't do anything about it. And pretty soon they were all the way up here. And my, everybody, all my friends were in the boat watching me. And I'm like, i got to pull my shorts down somehow. But I'm holding onto this stick. And that, I don't remember how long I water skied for. But that was a really traumatic experience for me. Because the entire time I was so stressed out. Because my, my shorts were riding up so high. And I couldn't do anything about it. And, and my friends were all watching me. And I was like right there. And it was like, it probably only lasted a couple minutes. But it was like really traumatizing for me. I still remember that. The shorts were purple for some reason. Um, you know, a few, a few years ago, Elliot got a boat, and he took me out, you know, inner tubing on his boat, right? Like, that's pretty harmless, right? It's like this big, it's not even an inner tube. It's like a giant floating sofa. Like, it's as safe as you can get. 
Somehow I got flipped over on that, went flying through the air, came down, lost my sunglasses and my hat, and, and my daughter Karis was on there with me, and she swallowed a bunch of water and almost passed out on the boat. And I'm just like thinking, why is it every time that I go in the water, something like this happens, right? Um, we went to Coeur d'Alene a few years ago, and we were the, one of the jet skis that we rented broke down. So then we were trying to take the jet ski to the repair center, and then it flipped over and went upside down, and then we somehow got that all the way to the repair center anyways and got it repaired, and then I was supposed to ride this jet ski all the way back across this giant lake because everything was fixed. And as we left the repair center and got back into this giant lake that's like 1,000 feet deep, you know, my, my jet ski, I noticed, kept going like deeper and deeper into the water. And Andy had already taken off on the other jet ski. And I'm like, I'm sinking. Somebody save me. I'm going to die out here in the middle of the, you know. And luckily, I have a really loud voice. And somehow, Andy heard me. And he turned around and he came back. And he said, no, you dummy. It's not sinking. You're just, you're just, you're panicking, you know. And somehow, you know, we got it back to the repair center, and sure enough, there was like something, like some hose that they hadn't connected, and it was just sucking in water, and my jet ski was sinking. And as I was leaving the repair, it had just been repaired, and yet somehow my jet ski was sinking, you know. Um, so I have this, this thing with water. It just never turns out well. I could go on and on. But anyways, there's this theme park in uh, California. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. I don't even know if it's still open, but it's called Raging Waters. How many of you guys have ever heard of Raging Waters? Have you, any of you guys ever been to Raging Waters? Pastor Chris, you're from California. Why would you go there? Like if you met somebody and he said, hi, my name is Axe Murderer, would you be like, hey, can I come over to your house and hang out? Right? Like Raging Waters. Like that. I've never been there. I hope never to go. But the point is, this is why I have a healthy respect and fear of large bodies of water, right? Um, and by large, I mean anything bigger than a puddle. There's a story in the Bible, um, and it's found in three of the Gospels, actually, but I'm going to read from Luke chapter 8 that kind of reminds me of my fear of water. And it's a story that many of you, probably all of you, are very familiar with. It says, one day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. Sounds harmless enough. So they got into the boat and they set out and they sailed. As they sailed, he fell asleep and a squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. And the disciples went and woke him saying, master, master, we're going to drown he got up and rebuked the winds and the raging waters, and the storm subsided, and all was calm. And Jesus said, where is your faith? In fear and amazement, they asked each other, who is this? He commands even the waves and the water, and they obey him. Mark tells the same story, but he says it was a furious squall. I'm not sure exactly what a squall is, but it doesn't sound good, right? Um... And I don't know about you guys, but like I, I kind of feel like the past couple of years have been similar to this, right? We're living in a crazy world today, and it feels a lot like this boat that the disciples were in. It's a crazy, sin-filled world. And, and you know, COVID-19, do you guys know why it's called COVID-19, right? Coronavirus disease, I think. 
and the 19 stands for 2019. You realize it's September 2021 right now, right? And we're still talking about COVID-19. It's been two years now, and it feels like it's been longer than that, you know? Um, and I keep looking around me, and I keep looking into the horizon, and I keep thinking, when is this all going to end, right? When are we going to be able to get back to our normal lives? And truthfully, as I do that, and I scan the horizon, I don't know if it's ever going to end. I don't know if it's ever going to change. Um, and as we look at the story of Jesus and the disciples on the water in this, in this storm that many of us are familiar with, I want to look, you know, normally when we talk about this story, like if you look in any Bible, like, you know, in the, in the headings or whatever of each section, you know, do you know what this story is always called? It's called Jesus Calms the Storm, right? It's always Jesus Calms the Storm. That's what this story is called. But today I, I want to look at it a little bit differently. I want to look at the boat, and more specifically, what's happening inside the boat as this storm is, is, is hitting this boat, and what is inside this boat is what I want to look at today, um, and hopefully by looking at this story in a slightly different way, we can gain an insight that is helpful for us in our lives today. Um, and I don't know if it's because of my history and because I'm a little bit sensitive towards this whole thing, but the first thing that I notice in this story as I look at what's inside this boat is the first thing I notice is water. Water is inside the boat. You know, boats are supposed to be in the water, right? Not water inside the boat, right? If you're in a, ever in a boat and the, you're, you're finding that water is inside the boat, like you should probably like panic a little bit, just a little bit, right? Like that's not normal. Right? And we're living in this world, this sinful, chaotic world, and I, and I have news for you today. If it feels like we're living in a world that's like a boat that's taking on water, it's because we are living in a world that is taking on water. Right? We are. This world that we're living in is crazy. And, and the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death and destruction. But do you know what happened to boats? Do you know what happens to boats that take on water? They sink. They sink because boats are not supposed to take on water. But, but the, the thing is, like, as Christians, as Seventh-day Adventist Christians, as we are on this boat that is taking on water, that is spiraling out of control, and, and around us we see all this confusion and fear and anxiety and chaos and famines and plague, plagues and floods and wars, as Seventh-day Adventist Christians should we be surprised? In John 16, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome this world. There's water in the boat, and it should make us question the longevity of the vessel that we are traveling in. This should give us a curiosity to search the scripture and renew our understanding of what the future holds for this world that we are living in. And the fact that our boat that we are currently traveling in is taking on water should give us a desire for a vessel with a more certain and eternal future. 
Also, as we look around the world today and our lives and we see the water levels rising around our feet and our knees and our ankles, we should grow in confidence that the word of God is true and reliable and trustworthy. And if our confidence should grow in the fact that what God has spoken about this world is true, then our confidence should also grow that what God spoke about the kingdom of heaven is also true. Rock family, I want to tell you today that we're in a boat and there's water in the boat. And boats should not have water in them. In Matthew 24, verse 37 through 39, it says this, For the coming of the sun will be like, just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will be the coming of the man, the son of man. And I think that there's actually two camps of people when it comes to water being in the boat. There's people that over the last couple years have had incredible hardships, right? There's been incredible storms in your life. Life has been incredibly difficult and stressful, and your life is filled with anxiety and with fear. And that makes sense because there's water in the boat and there's a storm. There's some of us, though, where life feels pretty normal, actually. And even though there's craziness all around us, like our family's doing well, our job's going fine, maybe even financially we're better off than ever before, maybe our kids are doing better than before, maybe when we switched to homeschool for a year, your kids loved that and it was great and they were happy. You know what I'm saying? Like some of us, even though the world is crazy around us and there's water filling up in the boat, we don't have anxiety, and we don't have fear, and we don't have panic. We feel fine. And in some ways, I think that's worse. Because like I said, if you're in a boat, and the water is in the boat, that is not the time to feel like I'm just going to go on with life as normal. Something is not right. And we need to ask ourselves that question. Why what is going on? Why is there water in the boat? So today I want to urge you to take a look around you. And I want you to see and acknowledge that there's water in the boat. That this vessel that we are traveling in, this life that we are living, is in trouble. And is headed for destruction. And it's time for us to wake up and live a life with urgency and clear purpose. The second thing that is in the boat, when you read the story, is the disciples. The disciples are in the boat, okay? And I want you to look around you today, and I want you to realize something. You are not alone in this boat. We are all on the boat with each other. God has given us this gift of community so that we can comfort and support each other. During a time when the world is increasingly divided, we are to shine God's light and show the world what unity looks like. 
Division is Satan's way. Divide and conquer. And we are divided by worldly matters more than ever before. Just turn on the news or read a newspaper or go on yahoo.com and everything you read is division and opposition. And, and I'm sure that there are many issues that, that you might read about and hear about and, and see going on around us in the world today that are very important worldly matters. And some of them you might be very passionate about and feel very strongly about and feel like you're very right about. But I want to tell you something today, that God has called his people to unity. And, 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 and I know, Pastor Chris, whenever you say something from the pulpit and it's like maybe going to be a little bit offensive, you, like, you know, Pastor Chris always does like these fancy dance moves before he always presents that part to, to like soften the blow. But I have to tell you something. I don't know how to dance. Everybody knows this about me. I can't dance. I didn't even dance at my own wedding. So I'm just going to go straight to the point. None of these issues that you are so passionate about and so informed about and that you find yourself arguing about and getting angry about and resenting your fellow brothers and sisters about, none of those issues are more important than the unity and love that God has called us to as a body of Christ. None of those issues. All of those issues are earthly, worldly issues. None of those issues are eternal issues. They all pertain to this vessel that is taking on water, this world that we live in that is bound to be destroyed. And I'm not saying that any of the beliefs or issues that you believe in are wrong or should not, that you shouldn't have any opinions as Christians on these matters. But I want to say unapologetically today that as Christians, we are obligated to find a way to practice our beliefs within a spirit of unity and love in the body of Christ. And if that issue does not allow you to practice that love and unity within the body of Christ, then, then perhaps you need to re-examine your beliefs about those issues. John 17, 11, Jesus, um, Jesus says, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. That means that we as the body of Christ are to be as united as Jesus and God are united. In John 17, 22 through 23, it says, The glory that you have given me I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and, lo and love them as you have loved me. The world looks at the body of Christ, the church, and the way that they know that we are God's people is by our unity. And you know what? That makes sense because we live in a world today that's so divided, right? And, and, and if you look at what Satan did when he left heaven, the first thing that he did was he divided heaven and he took a third of his, the angels with him, right? And so when the world sees the, the church of Christ, the, the bride of Christ, in standing in unity, it shines like a bright light in the darkness, right? And that's what God has called us to. 
Um, recently, speaking of things that uh, I have an acrimonious relationship with, one is water and the other thing is that, that I have a pretty acrimonious relationship in my life is roller coasters. Um, I hate roller coasters. Um, I think that putting your life at risk for a cheap thrill is borderline sinful, but we won't get too much into that. But we happened to find ourselves at an amusement park, which I try to avoid as much as I can, but we were at this amusement park, and we split, we were with a group of families, and we split the group into two groups, older and younger kids and then parents. But more importantly, the, really the way we split the group is people who want to go on scary roller coasters and people who do not want to go on scary roller coasters is how we split the group, Okay. And of course, I volunteered for the latter group, people who do not want to go on scary roller coasters. But somehow, as we began walking around this theme park, my seven-year-old daughter saw these roller coasters and decided that she really wanted to go on a roller coaster. And my first question to her was, well, where's your mother? But then when I called Esther to find out where are you guys, I found out that they were in line for an even scarier roller coaster. So um, being a father who loves their daughter, I said, Abigail, I will go on that roller coaster with you. So then I looked up the, the list of roller coasters and I tried to find the, the, the least Least scary roller coaster on the entire list of roller coasters. And I found one, and it was called Timber Terror. Why would you stand in line for hours to experience something that is called Timber Terror? That I will never understand. However, the next thing I know, I find myself in line for Timber Terror. And sometimes, one of the reasons why I hate theme parks is that the lines are so long. The one time in my life that I would not have minded a long line, what do you know? That line was just, it was just going so fast. I didn't even have time to prepare myself. I think I've been on uh, like three roller coasters in my entire life. One time, well, it wasn't really a roller coaster. It was this thing called the zipper where you sit in this pod with two people and you sit facing each other. And then it goes around like this, kind of like, um, oh, what are those things called that go around and around? Carousel, or no, Ferris wheel. But it's much more vertical. And it goes up and then down, up and down. But the thing is, while it's doing that, this little pod that you're in is spinning like this the whole time. It goes up and down, up and down. And so I was sitting in this roller coaster facing my friend. His name was Sadarak. I still remember him. And as we're going like this, like 30 seconds to the right, I'm like, oh, this is bad. And I told him, I said, I think I'm going to throw up. But we're facing each other, right? I'm looking right at him. And half the time, I'm on top of him like this. So me and him both start screaming at the top of our lungs, stop the ride, stop the ride, stop the ride. And, you know, everybody else is screaming, but he had a loud voice. And so did I. And they heard us. And they literally stopped the ride. <laughs> Have you ever seen that happen before? They stopped the ride. What do you do? What's worse, throwing up on your friend or stopping the ride? Everybody's watching you while you get out and you walk off the ride and they're like, who is that guy? Right? So they stopped the ride. So then I was like, 
The even worst part was after they stopped it, I was like, oh, I, think I, I think I'm, you know, I just keep going. I think I'm going to be okay. Anyways, I somehow I made it through the ride without throwing up on my friend. The other time I rolled a roller coaster, this was an actual roller coaster, was for a girl. Because um, I didn't want her to know that I was a sissy man. Um, but she's my wife now, so I guess that one was worth it. And this third time was for my daughter. So we get on this roller coaster. And I, have, I, I, I do the same thing when I ride roller coasters every time. And I do this. I close my eyes. And then I go. <laughs> the whole time. The whole time. You know when you do that thing where you like literally squeeze your brain? I do that. I don't scream. I don't. I go. <laughs> the whole time. And then soon enough the ride's over and I get off. Well, so we did that. We got on this roller coaster, and I was, like, taking pictures with Abigail, trying to, like, say, ha, 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 trying to make sure she was okay. As soon as you start going, tick, 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 you start going up, right? So we come over the crest, and then there's always, like, this pause, right? So as soon as we start, I did it. I went, But as we started coming down this free fall, I heard Abigail who was up to that point, like, I'm so excited, I'm going on a roller coaster, it's going to be so fun. I heard this, this, this wail come out of her throat that was like, ah! it wasn't like, I'm having so much fun. It was like this deep-seated fear slash crying of like immense fear. And mid-fall of mid-me going, my, my attention as a father, immediately turned to my daughter. And I opened my eyes, which I've never done on a roller coaster, and I turned around, and I looked at Abigail, and she had this fear in her eyes, and I, and I said, it's okay, Abigail, don't worry. It's not, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. It's going to be over soon here. You're okay. It's not bad. It's okay. It's not, we're almost done. We're almost done. And I spent the rest of that roller coaster looking at Abigail saying, it's going to be okay. It's all right. It's not that bad. It's going to be okay. And you know what I found is that as I turned my attention to Abigail and her fear, I found that my fear decreased. There are many of us in this church who have suffered greatly in the last two years. And there are many of us who are currently suffering and who are carrying a very heavy burden of sadness, of anxiety, and fear. In the early church in Acts 2, it says that the church had all things in common. It means they shared everything. It means they shared their joy with each other, but it also means that they carried each other's sorrows and burdens and pain. And, and, and I want to tell you today that this community that we have here at Rock Fellowship is a gift from God. Because not only can we help our brothers and sisters in sharing and carrying their burdens for them and with them, but when we do that, you will find that your own burdens and your own sadness and your own anxiety and your own Fear decrease as you focus your attention on your community and the suffering and easing the burden and the suffering of those around you.
And this is a gift from God because it not only helps the people who you are helping carry their burdens, but it helps you. It helps your burdens be lighter. I want you to look around you today, literally and figuratively. And I want to challenge you to find somebody who's suffering, who's carrying a very heavy burden. And I want to ask you to carry their burden for them. As we do this, we will find this experience that that God has given us, this gift of community. It is literally a, a, a part of our stated mission statement here at Rock Fellowship to be a loving community. And that's what a loving community is, right? And when you're in a loving community and you're carrying other people's burden, it benefits everybody. So we're in this boat but we're not in this boat alone. There's water in this boat, but we're not in the boat alone with the water. We're in the boat with each other, and God has given us the gift of each other. God has given us the gift of this community so that we can help carry each other's burdens, so that we can help carry each other's sorrows, so that we can help each other as we deal with anxiety and fear and uncertainty. So if you are somebody who feels this burden is very heavy, and who feels like that you're drowning, I want you to know that we're here for you. I want you to reach out and tell somebody in this community, tell one of the pastors, tell one of the elders, tell me, my burden is very heavy. And for those of you who, who, who maybe don't feel the heaviness, I want you to find somebody who is carrying a heavy burden. And I want you to say, hey, let me help you carry that. The disciples were in the boat together. Lastly, and maybe most obviously, Jesus was in the boat. Emmanuel was in the boat. God with us was in the boat. And there is no distance that God will not travel in order to fulfill his mission of being with us. Psalms 23 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, or ride on a boat through a fire of fiercest storm, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And you know, after Jesus, they woke Jesus up and he calmed the storm, it's interesting because he says to the disciples, he says to them, where is your faith? What does that mean? Like, why did Jesus say that to the disciples at that point? And I think that in the context of this story, Jesus defines faith as being able to keep your eyes on Jesus when the waves are crashing around you. And being able to say that even though the water is rising, even though this feels dangerous, even though there is anxiety and fear and sadness and pain, that Jesus and God with me in the boat is more real than anything else. Like I said, many of us have experienced the storms of the past few years. Some of us lost, lost jobs, some of us lost loved ones, some of us have experienced sickness and physical suffering, and our hearts are filled with uncertainty and fear, and that makes perfect sense because the world is crazy right now. 
but it's just going to get crazier. What will you choose to focus on? The waves, the rising waters, or will you instead choose to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus? And, and can we be, like, just honest about, like, this verse? Like, as I was reading, like, this story, like, something stood out to me. Jesus just, what, he wasn't just in the boat. Jesus was the one who suggested they get into the boat. Jesus was the one that said, hey, let's get in the boat and let's go to the other side. You know, and so based on that, you could come to the conclusion or the thought that it was actually Jesus who led the disciples into the storm. It was his idea. He's the one that said, let's get into this boat. Why, why would Jesus do that? If he knew there was a storm coming, why would he tell the disciples, let's get into this boat and put all of our lives in danger? Hey, guys, I have a great idea. Let's go to raging waters. Right? Why would Jesus do that? It is important to remember that we are on a journey and that we have a destination and that God will take us there. Joseph was not just randomly sold into slavery by his brothers. He was sold into slavery and taken to Egypt. And along the way, there were a lot of storms, but there was always the destination and there was always a purpose. And God never left his side the entire time. And that's what, G that's what Joseph meant when he said what you, when he told his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. The children of Israel, they didn't just wander in the desert for 40 years aimlessly. They had a destination, and it was the promised land. And there were delays and trials and tribulations, but God who brought Israel out of Egypt was faithful and never left their side and brought them to the promised land. The disciples were in a boat, and there was a storm, and things got really rocky, but God did not just bring them into the middle of the lake to drown. There was a destination. Jesus said, let's get into the boat and let's go to the other side. There was a destination. And I want to remind you today that though the storms may rage in your life, though the boat may be filling with water, though it may be very rocky, I want to tell you that God has a plan for your life and there is a destination. Do not let the storms distract you from the purpose of the journey and the destination that God has called you to. In Philippians 1.6, it says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it by the day of Christ Jesus. And Hebrews 12 tells us to look to Jesus, who is not only the author, but also the finisher of our faith. And that means that he's the one who called you onto the boat, that he's the one who's going to get you to the other side. The disciples, they forgot that they had a destination. They forgot that the boat was just a temporary vessel. They got distracted by the waves and the storm, and fear took the place of peace and faith. We are renting. We don't own this house. This is just a layover, guys, right? Our final destination we have a final destination, and that final destination is not Portland, Oregon. And I want to end today's sermon with a very simple but powerful reminder that I think that, that for some reason we tend to forget. 
Jesus is coming soon. John 14, 1 through, 3, 1 through 3, Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Who is this man? Who is this man that even the winds and the waves obey him? Today I want to tell you that the peace that Jesus had that allowed him to fall asleep in the middle of this crazy storm is the same peace that he offers to you and me today. That though the storms may rage around us, that we can have this peace. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, for I have overcome this world. Let's pray. Father and God, Father God, thank you so much that you have overcome this world. Please, Lord, come soon. Give us a desire in our hearts, Lord, a desire for the kingdom of heaven to be real in our lives, Lord, that when you come back to take us to the kingdom of heaven, it will not be a surprise to us, Lord. Father, may we take all of the signs and the, 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 the storms around us, Lord, as a sign that you're coming soon and that you'll be taking us home, Lord. May we continue to grow in faith, Lord, and may we continue to have peace in our heart, knowing that our trust is in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.